so timeless that was the smith with the track called back to the old house taken from a john peel session and also from the album hat full of hollow this is david eastor and this is the c86 show Welcome once again. I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. As always, I'll be crossing time, space and genre with the finest in indie pop from the golden decade that was the 80s. This week, the special guest is going to be Jane Fox from The Marine Girls, so, which is an interview I did many, many months ago, and she's probably thought I'd forgotten. But no, it's back, and I've got it. So I've broken up into about three little uh, segments to easily consume throughout the show so I'll be bringing you that alongside the usual award-worthy playlist but because we're feeling particularly biased and uh, excitable about Marine Girls I thought we should start with On My Mind Take It Away (laughs) 
That was, thank you for the applause there. Yes, that was Nevada and the track called And the Man Who Saw the World That Came From Their 1994 Unplugged Album, obviously written by David Bowie and originally um, recorded in 1970. And also the reason I played that, because this was a Marine Girl special, was that um, Kirk Bain often said in his, well, he said in his top 50 albums of all time, one of the, tra- one of the albums was the, uh, the Marine Girls and their album Beach Party, which I thought obviously was a nice connection. So to start the show, we had the Marine Girls and the track called On My Mind that came out on, I think it was a single in 1981. And I have to say, great bass line there. Anyway, this is David Eastall and this is the C86 show. And this week's special guest is Jane Fox from the Marine Girls. So as I said, and if you were paying attention earlier, I'll be bringing you that interview a little bit later on, but not that much later because there's quite a bit of it. So to keep the show rolling, um, I think we should play another track by the band. This is A Place in the Sun.
sound and beautiful, melancholic and slightly delicate, all at the same time. That was the Marine Girls on the track called A Place in the Sun. This is David Eastall on the C86 show. If you want to contact me, we love your messages. You can via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86 show and I will be there. And this week's special guest is Jane Fox from the Marine Girls. And um, like I said, I've broken that interview up into about three easy-to-digest little segments. And I'm going to play the first one now because um, they're quite long, but they're very gripping. And uh, so this is the first one where I ask her a little bit about the legacy and also the beginnings of the band. I was kind of... It's really funny. Like, a lot of people haven't... It's an odd legacy for the band because on one level it has a kind of cult status and on another level we're kind of thrown in with all those kind of later bands and kind of labelled as twee, which has always been profoundly irritating, actually. Yes, it must have been very... I know, that that, that sort of twee pop... Yes, because I was into indie pop and everyone thought it was... You know, it wasn't very muscular. And this is even bands like the Smiths. You know, you think, well, I don't, yeah. you know, that's that's not right at all. Yeah. Well, we, the band, really functioned from 1980 to 1983, um, and it's really interesting because I was a huge. I don't know the Raincoats. I don't know Gina from the Raincoats, um, but we were huge, huge fans of the Raincoats and the Slits. Um, well, I was yes um so those that and we would go to their gigs you know and get really excited and (laughs) so those those bands were having an immediate influence on us just in terms of get up and go um you know and we were limited really interestingly in the sound we could make because we weren't really musicians right but then, but then, bizarrely, I just spoke to Gina. They weren't musicians either. So. Yeah, they were. I would argue they were better musicians than we. Well, actually, maybe they weren't because I remember going to some of their gigs. So I think I think she was probably like, but we can't play. We've only been together three weeks, and with this, someone's asked us to be on the support on the on the stage. So I think, in a way, they had three weeks to get their sound together. So they probably yeah. they probably thought they were blagging it as well. Well, we had a. a, a, a it was really interesting because looking back through the stuff has has um it's it's been interesting to think because actually what inspired the band was this in in kind of like 1980 1981 there was this phenomenal amount of activity off the back of punk where i i mean i lived in a new town in hertfordshire and it was pretty boring but suddenly Everybody was in a band, and there were loads of people producing fanzines, loads of people buying all their clothes from jumble sales and, you know, bucking what teenagers or young women were supposed to look like. And the slits and the raincoats were really inspiring on that front. Yes. Um, you know, and it, and it's hilarious now because sometimes what we were wearing then you, that was really shocking and outraged people, you can buy in Topshop now. It, you know, the whole thing is just so bizarre. Yes, absolutely. But we literally were, and and we the, the whole place just caught fire. So there was a phenomenal local scene in Hatfield and St Albans where. I grew up, and there were punk bands there, and then there were bands like us that were kind of not punk bands, but just suddenly going, oh, my God, we can be in a band because 
everyone's in a band and you don't need to be a musician to be in a band you just have got to have something to say um and we were playing and we just got together tracy and gina got together um in the first instance and then they invited me in and then a little bit later we invited alice in um and they just went we need a bass player and i just borrowed a bass off a friend that was in another band that had three strings working excellent and just used to pick out tunes on it basically <laughs> fantastic because so were you playing bass on this single on on my mind yeah i played bass on everything i was just i was the bass player you in were the, band. the bass player because that's a fantastic i mean that was one of those great songs isn't it yeah, I lo- yeah. I mean, I from memory, Tracy I think wrote the baseline to that song. But it wouldn't always be that way. We would we would sometimes she would sometimes go, "I've got a song." Um and I would hum something along and then work it out on the bass. Right. And she'd go, "Oh, yes, that's nice." Or, "No, I want you to play this." And by the same token, I would write my songs on the bass and the lyrics and then go to her and say I've got this tune that I need some chords for can you what chords would you put to this and so the, it was quite a methodical process between the between the two three members of the band well we would just help each other out really we'd go with a c- kind of an idea for a song like lyrics and a, and a song we would go with a song that needed something else like a guitar or a bass line or some percussion and we'd kind of just play around um, and just enjoyed being together. I mean, Tracy and I used to write quite a lot of poetry as well, and we were very close friends, so we had this kind of sharing our heartfelt experiences kind of friendship, and it kind of, the songwriting was quite closely connected to that, although we were distinct authors of the songs. We didn't we didn't say that we'd written the songs collaboratively when it came to publishing them, for example. Right. Um, we just went, that's your song, that's my song, because it seemed to be the person who'd come up with the lyrics, really, that was the person who the song was attributed to. Yes. And that all felt really comfortable and really natural, and it, there was never any hassle with it. It was, it was a really interesting process, and we never actually thought we'd play live. And then... How we came to play our first gig is we went to a gig in Hartford. One of the bands didn't turn up, and the person putting on the gig came up to us and went, you're in a band, aren't you? You are a band. Why don't you get up and play? And we went, oh, no, we couldn't do that. We haven't got any. In- we haven't got our instruments. And they went, oh, look, here's some instruments. <laughs> <laughs> so we just went, okay. And we just got up and played three or four songs. And we'd, put, we'd paid to get in and everything. Like, we were... <laughs> As far as we were concerned, we were the audience. Excellent. <laughs> so, and and that was our first experience of playing live, and we ne- we never thought we'd do it. So that was a kind of threshold, and then we thought, oh well, if we've done it, then maybe we could think about doing it again. Yes, and obviously you also did some John Peel sessions as well, didn't you? Yeah, we did. P- John Peel picked up on it. It it was a really fascinating journey, actually, because from that gig that we weren't expecting to play, there was. A guy there called Pat Birmingham who ran In Phase Records, who then put out a compilation cassette, which he invited us to be part of. So we put a track on that. And then he said he was going to choose three bands from the from the whole cassette to do a, a, a full cassette of that band's music. And he picked the Marine Girls. So he picked us, 
um, and a band called Portion Control and another band called Bonadish. And that was what that was Beach Party. And that was the first part of my interview with Jane Fox from the Marine Girls. There's another two of those still to come. But because we were talking about the raincoats, I thought we should play a track by them. This is Lola. I met her in a club down in Oxo, where they drink champagne and it tastes just like cherry
the Raincoats with a track called Lola, obviously written by Ray Davis and the Kinks many decades before. Hello, this is David Esau on the C86 show. And like I said, this week's special guest is Jane Fox from the Marine Girls. And um, the other band that um, we spoke about quite a bit was The Slits. And I just, just noticed that Vivian or Viv Albertine has got a new book that's going to be coming out in about a month's time. And this is not going to be about music. This is about her childhood. And this is titled To Throw Away Unopened. And um, it's all about her um, relationship with her family, mother, father, etc. And I've started reading it. It's very good. Anyway, this is the second part of the interview I had with Jane where I asked her about whether they were part of the scene, which was part of the early 80s post-punk period and just before the great indie indie pop explosion that happened in about 1983. We became connected to all these other people on the local scene who were also doing things. And it was a phenomenal range of, of stuff. I mean, really a phenomenal scene. You know, there was someone writing a profoundly irreverent fanzine called Albert Iamunger. It was a brilliant magazine, Alvin Smith. He then interviewed us for that. Um, there were other people doing fanzines and magazines. Um, there was a performer called Clive Pig, who was a singer-songwriter who wrote kind of story-based songs in amongst local punk bands. And we would just be on the bill with whoever was playing. And we would play gigs in fire stations, on roundabouts, in village halls. Fantastic. I mean, you couldn't make it up. No. It was brilliant. It just was like, suddenly the whole place came alive and there was loads of interesting stuff happening and lots of people that were really into doing things. Because one of the compilations that we all went and bought, the Royal We, but there one that came out on Cherry Red, which was Pillows and prayers the the compilation 81 to 84 and um you obviously appear on that which was a kind of a huge kind of um advert almost wasn't it for all these bands because i think it cost about one pound or two pound didn't it yeah it did it did um and that was that was a kind of later because it was we lazy ways was the song on that so that wasn't recorded till 1983 right so that that happened a couple of years after all this other stuff was happening and i think you also had a Place in the Sun was on it as well, I believe. Yes. So you I'm going <laughs> to take your word for it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it, so, yes. But it, I just remember we, everyone, you know, I think it was a bit like in the 70s, you, everyone had a Peter Frampton Come Live album, didn't they? And, and then sort of anybody into alternative, alt, you know, indie music also had that compilation. So we all sort of had to listen to that track by Jane, didn't we? It's a Nice Day. Yes. Which, yeah. Which we all grew to love. Yeah, which wasn't by me, actually. I was I was just looking through this weird something in my book where someone had attributed all that stuff to me, and I kind of thought, well, that's not fair. No, that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> so so as, as as the band developed, and this is always the tricky thing with any band or creative process, I suppose, um, how did the dynamics, because obviously there's, there was Tracy, there's Gina, and, and then you said Alice as well. So how did the, all these things sort of start to merge or sort of develop? Um, Gina left fairly early on. Um, I mean, initially, it was this group of friends just doing things in a very excited and um, kind of committed, um, a, a very excited kind of committed w way. It was like this 
world had opened up to us where you could be really proactive. It was really empowering. Um, and we, I mean, we would do things like we would just go, right, let's record a cassette. So we recorded this cassette of songs in 1981 called A Day by the Sea. We got 50 copies printed up and we just all gathered round and pressed, you know, on a tape recorder that was just a press button tape recorder in the room. We weren't connected to it. <laughs> we, just, yes. we just had to go, shh, and then record it. And then we would excitedly go off to gigs and flog it to people for 50p, you know, go up to strangers in at other bands' gigs and go, do you want to buy this? It's our band, you know. <laughs> so we were just, we operated as a group of friends doing a, a really fun thing together. And it slowly progressed. Um, Gina left quite early on um, and then Alice my sister was kind of around and about and we kind of said well why don't you come in and just try singing this because we used to sometimes we'd rehearse at my home and in the garage at the back of the house and it was just like oh we need someone to sing this come and join us and she then became a member of the band um and for a while, it it was just really tremendous fun. We had a brilliant time, and it was actually really intense. Like, we kind of lived and breathed it. Well, I did. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, and we hung out together all the time. We were reading books and, um, you know, just kind of really having an amazing sort of stretching quite time together and we would go off on holiday together and things like that and then um actually i came down to brighton to do an arts course and tracy went up to hull um to do her degree in english um and that put a big geographical distance between us and we both got into um, really intense, quite committed relationships, and were both doing people things. You know, we carried on our kind of well. I, me and I coined the term mongering. We just used to call it mongering. Let's just munger. That just meant doing creative things together. Um, and so, me and uh, my then partner just started doing loads of creative stuff together, and that caused a distance and a tension, really. And I think probably then it was apparent that it couldn't really be sustained because what Tracy and Ben started doing music together and then A Distant Shore came out and really our interests were lying in different places. So did you, when it got to that point, did you have a moment where you sort of sat down and decided what to do? Not really, it just kind of, we, I don't think we had ever really taken hold of the tiller. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, one doesn't. So, yeah, so it no, it just kind of fell apart, really. Um, and then we kind of bounced up and went kind of um, skipping into Grab Grab the Haddock, which was tremendous fun. Excellent. You know, so we just kind of went, uh, Lester, who was a big Marine Girls fan, Lester Noel, and who be, uh, we, we became friendly with, um, because he would come to Marine Girls gigs and just come up and say hello. And he was an absolutely fantastic guy. And when the Marine Girls fell apart, he just said, oh, come on, let's do something. Excellent. And so on it rolled, you know. And so then Alice and I joined Lester and another guy, Steve, um, 
for Grab Grab the Haddock, which actually we did do a couple of recordings for Cherry Red, but but live, we were kind of a live band, really. And yes. our live gigs were just enormous fun. And we had other people that would come and join us on stage. We had a drummer. <laughs> um, we had two friends, Andrew and Dennis, who would jump up and down and play percussion if they were around. And Tim Hall, who would play saxophone with the Marine Girls, also joined Grab Grab the Haddock and played saxophone and clarinet. And and that was a that just was much more anarchic on stage, much more fun um, to play live, just because there were more of us. Indeed, the interesting journey that is rock and roll, or pop in this case. Anyway, that was the second part of my interview with Jane Fox from the Marine Girls, and I've still got another one piece to go of that interview. And the album that um, we talked about, Pillows and Prayers, that came out, I think, in December 1982. And it it was a double uh, vinyl record, probably on cassette as well. And it had one of those stickers, Pay No More Than 99p. And it had sort of um, a track, a tracks by the likes of Monochrome Set, Tracy Thorne, Ben Watt, Felt, Marine Girls, Attila the Stockbroker, the Nightingales, and even Quinton Crisp. And I do believe it got to the num- I think it got to number one in the indie charts and was there for something like 19, 20 weeks. But um, it was one of those compilations that we all owned back in the day. Yes, we did. Anyway, look, I think we should play another track and then the last part of my interview with Jane. This is the Marine Girls. This is from a John Peel session. This is a track called Lazy Ways.
And that was the Marine Girls with a track called Lazy Ways, which came from a John Peel session many decades ago. Anyway, this is David Eastall on the C86 show, bringing the finest in indie pop. And um, I'll just tell you how you can contact me if you want. Um, you can via Facebook or Twitter, just go to at C86 show and I will be there. Now, this is the third part of my interview with Jane Fox from the band, where I talk about the breakup of the band and also how strange it was that, um, in a slightly unbelievable way, that Tracy Thorne went on to be in Everything But The Girl, who then sort of became sort of bigger and bigger and huge eventually. So, um, And with every band and any sort of creative dynamic, it's always a bit strange when everyone's gone in their opposite directions and who does what and how do you cope with that emotionally? Jane, give us the inside. Strange about it is we just were inhabiting such profoundly different worlds, really, and it was just quite hard to keep up with each other. You know, I, I think they're very, very different worlds. So it was just, um, you know, I guess really with any friendship, if you've had an intense friendship with someone and then suddenly it's kind of really stretched over a distance or whatever, it's just quite a painful process, really. Yeah, no, it's... Yeah. I mean, did you do you ever sort of, because decades have passed and probably things have changed radically, do you ever sort of keep in touch with the other members, Gina, or probably your sister and Tracy at all? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm in touch with Alice. <laughs> <laughs> she lives in Brighton and we work in the same place. <laughs> Excellent. So you don't walk down the corridors ignoring each other. <laughs> yeah, no. No, we work, um, we both work at the university. We both work in the School of Art at the University of Brighton. Excellent. Um, yeah. um, Gina, actually, I am in touch with, and probably over about the last 10 years, we've become really quite close again, which has been really, really nice. Um, and Tracy, I'm kind of just in touch with on Facebook, really. Right. You know, so we we kind of are on each other's radars in different kinds of ways. And over the years, like, I, I mean, I was approached by someone three years ago who just said, come on, let's get the Marine Girls back together. Like, there's quite a prestigious venue you could play. <laughs> it's <just> kind of <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you're just joking, aren't you? I mean, and I guess it's that thing of, like, I'm not sure I could pick up a bass after 20 years. Yes. And remember what those songs go like. And and I kind of also thought, well, you know, it's kind of interesting when teenagers can't play their instruments, but do you really want to watch a 53-year-old <laughs> woman who can't really play her instrument? Well, it's quite interesting. Well, it's, yeah, it's quite interesting. Because I was a massive Smiths fan, and, you know, obviously when they split, you have that moment where you think, oh, no, that's a bit sad. I didn't see that coming in a way. Yeah. And then, you know, the one thing you don't really want is the Smiths to ever reform, you know, because it just would just be awful and wrong. Yeah. But you, deep down, I would like to think that the members of the band could occasionally have a nice time. I don't know why, but it sounds very strange, but I would personally like to think of them occasionally just kind of getting, uh, having a coffee together and having a bit of a chat and being okay together. And I, I don't know if they are individually, but... In a way, that would that would make me kind of think, oh, that's nice, rather than some horrible, bitter argument and still sort of saying crap things by their wonderful lead singer, who <laughs> one has a difficult relationship with, you know. Yeah, but no, I mean, we had a reunion on that. I guess, when was it? it um, I mean, Tracy instigated it, actually, when, and I think it was when she first started writing. She... Um, <laughs> Oh, God, but it must have been quite a few years ago now. It must have been about 10 years ago. We had a reunion, in a, and we all met up in a cafe in London, and that was just really nice, you know, yeah. um, to well, see each other. And I think, 
I mean, I, I don't know. I just what I've learned about life is it just pulls you in different places. You're kind of bobbing around on a sea, and sometimes your boats come close to each other. Yeah. And you know, you just um, life takes people off in different directions. Actually, I, I don't know if you've got time for this, but I started looking through some of our reviews because it was really interesting what it was and. Penny Kiley, who wrote for Sounds, really championed us, actually, and gave us several really good reviews. And I just found something that she wrote. Do you mind if I read it? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. The all-girl group are quite young, and these facts are an integral part of the songs, but they never try to capitalise on them. They giggle and they cry, but their images are themselves. They won't be altered to feed a fantasy. They have a freshness and a directness that's without artifice. No false naivety, nothing whimsical. Honesty, unmarred by cynicism, distinguishes their love songs, a wide-eyed realism. There is no false teen dream world, but a place everyone knows, a time of yearning and learning, of lies and loss, of playing games, of deception and self-deception. The songs have a light touch, but not always a light heart. Oh, that's a, that's good journalism. It's fantastic, and we got we got you know we were we did get those kinds of reviews, um, and I think that must be what lasts about the band. I mean, I I went through a period of time where I couldn't bear to listen to it. I was just kind of like, oh god, you know. But we were sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Alice was fourteen when she joined the band. Yes, the joys of youth. That was my third part of the interview with Alice. No, not Alice. It was Jane Fox. I know, it's like Ask the Family, isn't it? Anyway, that was Jane Fox. I'll edit that last bit out. Anyway, look, that is the end of the interview. Actually, that's a complete lie because I did ask her one more question, which I will include. And uh, it's a quickie, so don't worry, it's not going to drag on. But I asked her what she would say to her 18-year-old self. I think I'd just say, wow, (laughs) fantastic. You know, just lucky you to have to have um, been part of that massive grassroots movement that really altered how a generation of people were able to be in the world. I feel eternally grateful to have been born in order to become a teenager at that particular time. (laughs) Yes, the joy of youth. That was the, well, that was almost the fourth and final part of my interview with Jane Fox. So a huge thank you, really, for that, because um, she gave me sort of, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes for an interview back in the summer, I do believe. Anyway, I'm sure she thought I had forgotten about it, but I hadn't. Anyway, that's the Marine Girls. And um, like I said, this is David Easter on the C86 show. Still plenty of time and lots more music to pack in. So I think we should play another track by the band. This is... There's so many to choose from. I want to go for the track called Honey. Honey wants possession of my heart Wants to know the secret of my dreams Doesn't understand my treachery Honey wants 
wants the song keys to my love Wants to know the reasons why I'm feeling blue Doesn't understand me when I say I love him every day or at least until this feeling goes away his breath and waits to see me Can't trust me when his back is turned He locks the door, I steal the key But honey knows I never lie and I'll be his until this feeling dies
Yes, indeed. That's the slits and the track called Heard It Through the Grapevine. And as I said a bit earlier, Viv um, Albertine from the band um, brought out a book a few years ago called... Um, what's it called? Yes, that's what it's called. Close, close, music, music, boys, boys, boys. There you go. And that came out on Faber and Faber. Anyway, that was a few years ago, and that was all about the band and life in music, which was um, obviously going to be traumatic and exciting at the same time. But um, in another about a month's time, she's got another book out on Faber and Faber, and this one is titled To Throw Away Unopened. And this is a book um, really detailing her childhood and the truth about her family identity and rebellion. So lots to look forward to. And that also comes out on Faber and Faber. Anyway, this is David Easter on the C86 show. Um, still more sort of time to play a couple more tracks. Actually, this is going to be another track by the Marine Girls. I mean, if you like them, fill your boots. This is, um, this is Radio Gold, I have to say. This is a track called Love to Know. Is he still the same? I'll never ask you 
all in the lyrics isn't it god we were so sometimes we were so depressed during the 80s and introspective but anyway that made it all all that much more exciting anyway that is the end of the show that was the marine girls and the track called love to know this has been david Eastall on the c86 show thank you ever so much for listening i'm going to leave you with the dolly mixtures and the track called the same mistake thank you and see you next week